Welcome to Better Homes and Dungeons. This week, what does a system of agreed upon boundaries, limitations, and vulnerabilities with safety tools have in common with correspondence from a prisoner? Well, they're both consent. Uh, <laughs> it's not any better the second time around you hear it, is it? <laughs> I find puns delightful, so yes. Excellent. Yes, it is. <laughs> the um, anticipation. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, everyone, I have a very, very special guest with me today. Someone who has, I, I think it's only fair to say, is very much a pillar within the the greater TTRPG um, community. Someone who is changing. I think a lot of the way we even approach what we do. Um, I am bad at introducing people. Um. My friend, who are you and, and what do you do? <laughs> oh, I see. I get to see, hear the pun ahead of time, but I don't actually, you don't actually tell me that I have to introduce myself. <laughs> I don't like being in a position where it's my job to define other people. Because <laughs> it's like, I can't, I shouldn't. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, I'm Shauna Germain and I um, have been doing uh, game design now for t- 11 years, I think, uh, mostly as uh, part of Monty Cook Games, uh, and and in addition to that, I do novels. I write fiction of all kinds, and essays, and nonfiction, and uh, sort of writing is just kind of my first love. So, thank you for having me. Thank you very much for agreeing. Um, one of the things I, I noticed on your on Monty Cook Games was Invisible Sun, and one of my buddies, um, who is a Canadian via Kuwait, who is now in Minnesota. Soda, I think um, he has raved to me several times about Invisible Sun. So that's so nice. That if you're listening, so happy. yeah, he, he actually like sent me his campaign notes and said, "Josh, what wow. do you think?" And like reading through his like campaigns and his playthrough notes with like his um, party, I was like, I don't understand any of this, but this sounds like the most amazing <laughs> thing. Like. If, you, if I find myself where you are or you find yourself in Sydney, bring the books. Like, we're, we're going to play. <laughs> Did he then say, it weighs, like, I think it's like 11 pounds or 20 pounds. I can't remember how heavy that box is, but it's kind of ridiculous. So it, it might be easier for me to, to go to him to, than... To bring yeah. yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've, I've only got a wife and two children. He's got a lug game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, Shana, one of the, one of the things I did want to have a bit of a chat with you about. Now, you have produced a game called No Thank You Evil. Um, one of the reasons I did want to, I guess, have a bit of a chat with you is many of us have been and still are trapped inside, and so <laughs> playing with our children and engaging with our children has become something that we not only you know kind of have to do because we want to be good parents, but it's like well. We can't just have them just watch Netflix and play on <laughs> devices. We, we should actually do something social. Um, how did No Thank You Evil come about? Uh, you know, it's it was sort of a very long kind of arrival. In, and, and it was like so many of the things that we do, it, it was this sort of collaboration of ideas that started with, so our COO of Montica Games, Charles Ryan, who had a do- has a daughter who at the time was quite young and they were teaching um, 
the kids at school about how to sort of, you know, not talk to strangers or, 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 or how to respond if they were in an uncomfortable situation. And so they were teaching them to say, no, thank you. Um, and, and in some ways they were sort of teaching them to, to sort of put up a hand and do that. And so the, the story that he tells is that he and his daughter were shopping and she was in the cart and they had a screen, a TV screen and it was showing, I think like one of the very first like Avengers movies. And she was like, what are they doing on the TV? And he said, the, you know, the, those heroes are fighting evil. And she just put up her hand and said, no, thank you, evil, like really loudly in the grocery store. And the first time that we heard that story, we were like, wow, that would make such a great name for a kid's game. Like just this idea of like, um, of being able to just put up your hand and, and say that. And so that was kind of the very impetus where we were like, but wait a minute, we've never made a kid's game and we've never made a game that wasn't a book, you know, cause this would need a box and we, could we even do that? And then we had some players who were playing Numenera, but they were altering it for their kids. Um, and so they were playing like Christmas Santa Numenera and Disneyland Numenera. And, and Numenera is a game that's set a billion years in the future, and it's quite dark. It's like this post-apocalyptic sort of setting. And and so they were having to do a lot of work to kind of bring it to the level it needed to be. And so watching them do all that work to make it ready for their family, we thought, you know, we could we could do that. We could make it for families so that they don't have to do the work of, of taking this setting. Um, and so that was kind of how the idea came about. In addition, like so many people that we saw at conventions and stuff were starting to bring their children because they, you know, they grew up gaming and they wanted to share it with their kids. And, and it just seemed like such a great opportunity to bring families together. And so it, it, at some point we were like, are we doing this? I think we're doing this. <laughs> um, and at that point it was kind of just full bore straight ahead, um, sort of diving into all the research and, and doing all that kind of stuff. So it was a very long process, but it, it, felt, it felt really perfect and organic. It does seem like there's a lot of um, games out for children. Like, I mean, there's Princess World, which is, I think, either out or just on the cusp of being out. Um, And Kevin Petka told me a remarkably similar story as to how that game kind of got started. Like, his daughter said, make a game about princesses for me, but not just princesses. And (laughs) i got to say, I respect a four-year-old with that level of, like... For sure. Yeah, that girl's going places. She's going to make things yep. happen. And I'm, I'd am i love to be there for those things. Um, and also things like Power Outage by um, Bibas El Taib. And I apologize to him if I've mispronounced your name, Biebs. Um, and, and that game came about because he was playing with his kids when the power was out. And so there's mm-hmm. now, like I agree with you, like nice. all of us. I want to say people, I was about to say adults, but I'm going to say people who have grown up a bit. We are starting <laughs> to produce children and have children. And, and like anyone who loves something wants to introduce it to like the next unknowing person that we have. And it's like, well, my wife has said no, but I've got this small human here. <laughs> Who's trapped with me. <laughs> yes. Like literally they can't leave. Well, he's at school at the moment. Um, when approaching making a game for kids like I think it is pretty fair to say having gone through some of your books and things that you've written you have I would say a very amazing and very in-depth understanding of not just role-playing but the the meta and the nuts and bolts of role-play like the okay how do you make someone feel safe how do you make this accessible how do you ensure that there are limitations but they're agreed upon and the boundaries are set up really really well 
with, when doing with that kids, what were the key differences with, say, doing something super dark for adults and something that's a bit more freeform for children? You know, it's it's fun. It's it was really fun to work on it because on one hand, like Monty Cook and I worked on it together, and we're both kind of just big kids in a lot of ways, and so we we have a lot of like, you know, we have a lot of visions of like what the world could and should be like based on what our dreams were as kids, and so some of that was just tapping into that inner child that I think a lot of gamers have. Um, and then we started doing research. I did so much research and reading about um, because we did want to make it accessible. And so we read about like, you know, what what's good for kids who are maybe nonverbal, what works for kids who are maybe on the autism, autism spectrum or who are have dyslexia or who struggle with, you know, reading or verbalizing or drawing or acting out or and so we wanted to give we wanted to create a game that allowed everyone to do to play in their way. And so if they didn't, if they had trouble speaking, we wanted them to be able to like get up and dance and that would be their action. Um, or to, you know, use a prop. Um, and if they didn't want to write, we wanted them to be able to draw. And we looked at like how, how much math is sort of fun for kids and how much is it like, I don't want to play this anymore because <laughs> this is hard. Yeah. Um, and so we tried to, we, we try to do a ton of research into how to make it as accessible and as open as possible. Um, and also to to spark the imagination, you know, rules are rules are tricky because like adults and kids react to rules differently. I think right, kids need a little bit of boundary, but they also need to know it's really safe if they push those boundaries, right? Like, and because they're gonna, and so like, what's gonna happen if I push this boundary? Um, and so we try to do that, whereas adults have di- really different relationships with rules. I think. Um, and so we also tried to do like a lot of diverse art so that ki- kids could see themselves in our pages, you know, no matter who they were, that was really important to us. Uh, so yeah, it was really, it was very different to put ourselves in the mindset because one of the differences I think is that kids, kids know how to role play. I mean, they, they fake it all the time. They're like, they're like making stuff up, right? What kids don't know is, is the rules part of games, right? So they can make stuff up all the time. Whereas adults they have trouble with role play sometimes, right? It's kind of scary. They're not used to, we're not used to, we stop being so creative as we as we age, I think sometimes, but we understand rules. And so we had to kind of come at it from just such a different perspective, uh, which has actually altered everything I've ever written after because I learned, I just learned so much about it. That's really cool. Like I, I would agree. Like one thing I've noticed, like I'm running at the moment two tables of the Lost Minds of Fandelva. Um, I, I play a lot of 5e because it's the, like, D&D is the game I kind of grew up in and, and found sure, just yeah. most commonly. Um, but I'm running two tables for Lost Minds, and one is for adults, and most of these people have never really played D&D, or they're very new, and the other is for kids, and one of them is my nine-year-old, and this isn't his first time. But it's one of his first times playing with playing with people who are only his age, and there are things you definitely notice with kids than adults. Like, kids are more likely to—I don't want to say play badly. I want to say play interestingly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they are more likely to split the party. Like, one, one thing we had was, like, there was a, a choice, like, do we go left or do we go right? And out of the three kids at the table, two said right, and my little boy said left, and he got upset when he thought, I have to go with the group. And I'm like, no. 
He's like, what? You, you can go. <laughs> but I thought, no, you can go. He's like, oh. that's cool. And he, and he just kind of realized, but <laughs> adults, like when approached with the same thing, like the adults I'm playing with practically have got into almost like a SWAT team-like approach where the rogue knows how to approach. They go the stealth. You know, the fighter does this, the wizard does that. And part of me is like, good. You've got a routine. <laughs> right. Evil laughter ensues. I can work with this. <laughs> but that's kind of the thing I've noticed. Like, kids are less gamey, but they're more interesting. Yes. I think so too. When we did we did a lot of play tests with No Thank You Evil and particularly play tested with kids who were on the autism spectrum or who had dyslexia because we really wanted to get their response to the game. And these kids were blowing my mind with their creativity. I mean, they just came up with the, the most amazing things. And like I just kept sitting there thinking, I do this for a living and in five minutes of gameplay these kids are totally showing me up. It was kind of amazing and wonderful. Um, and it made me realize that like we needed to eat, push push even farther into like the creativity and the imagination space because they were already so far ahead of us. And that was I don't know, that was really wonderful to see to see them just take it and run with it. It was it was just so fantastic. Hmm. Yeah, it, it 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 sounds like it's the kind of part of the job that is just pure joy. Like, there's that little video on the internet of, like, a small child just being, like, swamped with puppies. And and I don't think it's possible to watch that and not go, oh, that's that's, that's, that's beautiful. That's what I want. And and that that is, like, the vibe I'm picking up from, like, just watching these kids just engage. That's beautiful. Yeah, they're really fantastic. Yeah. It was great. Um, Now, now that's... That is really, really super cool. Now, if you were to say talk to a parent who had never played a role play game how would you pitch something like no thank you evil to them oh that's a good question uh let's see so so one of the things that we did that i think is really important particularly right now is we created a game that works for kids of all ages uh sort of i mean we've had like kids who are like to play but you know at that point they're just rolling dice they're not really playing but it's but you can be like you can play from four to eleven or twelve and, and have it all, them all at the table at the same time. And so the reason that the way that we did that was by giving different levels. So like the two-year-old or the four-year-old can play with a very simple character and then the 11-year-old could run the game or the 14-year-old could run the game. And so it's a game that the whole family can sit down and play, parents and kids, and everyone has an active, engaging role and um, you know no one feels left out because of the way that it's de- designed and developed. Um, if you if a parent didn't know what role playing game was, I think that I would probably describe it as like sitting around the table with a f- with your family telling stories. Because really, at the basis, that's what that's kind of what role playing games are. And I think the rules, kind of particularly with kids and families, can take kind of a secondary, can take kind of a backseat to the storytelling and the you know going on an adventure together part of it. But that sounds really cool. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I guess in my case, like, my, my wife is never going to play these games. And that's cool, you know, marry someone or partner to someone who is going to make you grow outside of your shell. Like, because of her, I'm not only, you know, actually socializing with people, I'm learning another language, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. 
yeah, it, it's it, it's not going Ochin Horosho, but you know we'll we'll see how we how we end. <laughs> um, now now with game design and some of the other work that you've done that is in the realm of consent and boundary setting, how does a lot of the I mean, to be honest, like I I found that when I go to work, I am very professional, Josh. I have boundaries up, like sorry, you know, walls up. I have very, very strict boundaries with my, you know, interaction with other people. I am here to work because I believe this is the work environment and that's what I'm going to do. doesn't make me the most popular person in the office, but, you know, I, I get things done. So, you know, I got that going for me. Um, <laughs> and I, I am definitely seen as, like, the serious dad type <laughs> in the office. And I can live with that. That's cool. But the second we get into a game, and if it's run by someone... With the right people around, I immediately become the goofiest dumbass <laughs> at the table. That's awesome. <laughs> and I do love that. What I'd love to say is, like, what would be your suggestions in creating an environment like that? Um, can you uh, ask the question a different way? Which oh, gosh, creating sorry. the environment of the table, like, where people feel comfortable at the table? Yes. Comfortable at the table and I guess ready to be engaging and vulnerable. Yeah, because vulnerability is hard, right? Like it's hard for all of us, I think. Um, and particularly those of us who have like social anxiety or, you know, anything else that I think makes it, can make it really hard at the table. Um, so I think that, I think that, you know, it's weird to say this, but I sort of, um, I come from uh, an erotica writing background and one of the things that we talk a lot, because I used to teach classes and writing about sex, and one of the things that we talk about a lot is like, you know, you get it. I would get this room full of 10 or 12 or 20 people who wanted to write about sex, and they were so, so squeamish and so uncomfortable. And so I would find ways to help them get comfortable in my first class because, like, everyone's there is, wants to do this thing and they want to be vulnerable and they want to be involved and they want to learn, but but there's they're all kind of sort of closed up. And so I think that this lessons that I learned about helping people there are less, the same lessons that I sort of use at the table which is about, you know, creating safe spaces and having conversations um, and, and making sure that you just ask, like, if people are feeling uncomfortable, make sure that you get consent. Like, it's, it's kind of all the same sort of human empathy. And I think that it's the empathy that really comes down to it. Like, I'm someone who has very, like, I want to I do everything. I want to play everything. I'm really interested in everything. I don't have a whole lot of, like, squick things. I'm like, all right. I mean, I have a tick thing because I had Lyme disease, and I think that's legit, so I don't want yeah, ticks that's... in my game. But other than that, <laughs> I'm pretty much like, bring it on, right? Um, but, you know, I, I want – I also want to make sure that I empathize with people who aren't who aren't feeling comfortable or safe and, and having those conversations. And I think where we get into trouble is, is people who can't put themselves – in another person's viewpoint or position. And so as both a GM and as a player, I feel like I'm always advocating for like, you know, how does this person feel? Do they feel safe? Is this a safe space? Do they feel, are they having fun, right? Are they engaging? And I think a lot of it is like, you know, some people also understanding that people have really different ways of playing. Like I'm very shy um, and I have a lot of social anxiety. And so in a, in a game of strangers, I'm often very quiet. And so some GMs will like take that as like, 
like they're going to shine the spotlight on me to make sure I get table space, which is actually super uncomfortable for me. But I also understand what they're trying to do, right? They're, they're trying to do a good thing by giving me table space. Um, and, I, and, and even though it's uncomfortable, I super appreciate that effort. And so I think sometimes it's just trying to understand like, you know, and even asking like, are, are you being quiet because you're not having fun or are you being quiet because that's your play style? Is there something I can do to make it better for you? Like those kinds of questions I think are completely legit. Even at a even at a table, and maybe particularly at a table where you are playing with people for the first time, hmm. that was a very long answer. Sorry. No, no, I, <laughs> I, I've always believed the format of what I do here is people do not need to hear from another boring dad man. So I get people who are far more interesting, on, and that's what we want. So you're just giving the people what they want, which is great. Okay. <laughs> what I'd love to expand on, though, is that shy person. You're saying that not necessarily putting a spotlight on them is the best way, and you've said, look, here are some questions to kind of lead into that. Um, would you say there are any tips of, like, helping to produce that environment where that person maybe is a little bit more, like, I guess, expressive or open or, you know, a bit more like, look, I know my character's doing this kind of thing? Yeah, I think so. I think that I think it's I do think it's not just the GM's responsibility either. I think players can do that, right? They can and you can do it in game. You can do it. You can have your character like seek out that person's character to like do a thing together or to ask for help for something. You know, we use uh, like Slack or other programs a lot to sort of have conversations with our characters between sessions. And that for for someone who's shy or has social anxiety, like having the opportunity to talk in character with another character without being face to face can really help solidify those bonds that then make that can make you then more confident and stronger at the table. And so, you know, taking some time between games to strengthen that stuff is also really useful, I think. Um, and, you know, I think that most people, if given the opportunity to talk about what they need and given the opportunity to to think about it, I think they can often come up with an answer like, you know, I'm really shy, but by session three, I know myself well enough to know that I'll, I'll have my feet under me and I can get going or something like that. You know, most people, I think when we become adults, we have a better understanding of, of kind of how our processes and what we need. And so like for me, like I find that like at, at usually at like session four of a group, I sort of start to blossom and I can come into my own because I've started to feel really comfortable. Um, and so I think even asking, like, do you just need some time to, you know, to get to know everyone and, and be comfortable is, a, is an absolutely legit question, too. I, I will say as a dungeon master, like, any time I get a group of people together, and we, we'll always have, like, something like Slack or Twitter chat or Facebook Messenger or whatever, and, and what I've definitely noticed is one of the things that just makes me so ridiculously happy is seeing these people in this group suddenly just like talk and like even if it's not about the game i don't care like you're talking you're bonding you're becoming better and better and it makes my heart happy (laughs) i love that and and i think the players love that too right because you know it's good to be around people who share your interests and i know i definitely love it like i i i'm running like five or four however many tables and i get to play at one and the table I get to play at, like, yeah, we, we message each other quite frequently. Like, what will happen is someone will send a message at, like, 8 about, you know, some completely unrelated thing. And my phone <laughs> will be buzzing until, oh, nice. like, you know, 
11, 30, 12, even into one o'clock to the point where my wife will tell me, Josh, if that phone is not silent, there is going to be trouble. <laughs> I love, I love that. I mean, that's what role-playing games are just so great at creating community. And, you know, um, I think that in creating bonds, like, you know, the people that you role-play with, can those bonds can last for so long, even if you're not playing together anymore. Just pretty yeah. rare these days, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, as someone who leapt back into this like two years ago, um, I very much used it as a way to, you know, kind of like get friends back into my life. And Mm -hmm. that old joke of, um, you know, what was Jesus' real miracle? Well, being a man in his early 30s and having 12 close friends. Like, that's (laughs) that's painfully legit. So true. Yeah. Scheduling is the hardest part of gaming for everyone that I know. And and it's better right now because we're all in lockdown and, and you don't have to drive somewhere. Um, but it's still like, I don't know, it's still quite a thing getting a bunch of adults together. All of the games I play are online. And they have been since I got back into it. So That's awesome, though. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of lovely because, I mean... Most a, a pretty decent chunk of the people I play with live in the states, right? So, like, th- three of the people that myself and my youngest brother record with, um, one lives in California, one lives in Illinois, and Dame, I'm really sorry, I don't know which state you live in. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, you, you got a few. <laughs> Apparently, Washington D.C. is pushing for statehood, and I personally uh, agree. Go for it. Why not? <laughs> We'll see what happens. We'll see who's in there. <laughs> yeah, that'll um, that'll definitely be interesting. Hmm. Um. <laughs> now I, I don't remember if we were recording or this is just our pre-recording. Bants. I was saying that you know a friend of mine is playing Invisible Sun. Oh right. And ranted and raved to me about how this Josh is amazing, and managed to both blow my mind and confuse me almightily <laughs> with like the pages of notes that he made me read. Thank you, Jordan. Um, <laughs> with Invisible Sun, in which ways is it similar? Oh, sorry, I should probably ask, how did Invisible Sun come about as a system? Uh, you know, it's interesting because I think that it's the kind of idea that has been in in Monty's head for a really long time. And um, it was, I think, you know, he's always, I think he's always progressing as a game designer, right? So he went to this very simple system and we we worked on the Cypher system, which is sort of, you know, the GM doesn't make any rules, it's really simple, um, which I think is, is, you know, his progress from working on, on, you know, a third edition and, and all of the other stuff that he did. And so then after Cypher System, I think that he started, he really wanted to create this sort of very literary storytelling game. Um, and I think that, you know, he, the, the, the idea behind it is to just make this something that's so immersive and to make the game a real experience. And you, you know, you sort of, ha- are, are, it's really designed to be played in person because it's got all of this amazing stuff that comes in this giant box. Um, and so I think it was about immersion and celebration because like we were just talking about, it's so hard to get people together at a table. It's like, it's just, it's so impossible. And so when you get there, like you want to really just 
go for it and, and be immersed and, and be super into this game. And so I think a lot of the ideas came from that, that immersion. Um, and that allowed to that allowed him to make a game that's really literary and complex and has like just uh, so many opportunities for creativity and uh, storytelling. Like you can just tell some amazing stories with that game. We ran a two and a half year campaign. I think it was two and a half years. Um, and, and I actually had just started our second campaign before um, we went into self-isolation. And, you know, we told the most amazing stories and had the most amazing character growth. And I mean, it was like reading a novel that you got to participate in. It was, it's just kind of an amazing experience. It's different than any other game I've ever played. That's that's really cool. I mean, would you say there's a kind of connection? Like with, with fifth edition, it's, it's very easy to play online. It's ridiculously easy. Mm, right. Um, with the addition of like a more tactile experience, do you think there's a different level of like, I guess, mental and emotional feedback that comes from that? I do. I think that it, it creates this, a collaborative storytelling through use of objects. Like, uh, you know, as a writer, I think about all objects all the time, you know, whether it's, you know, the ring in Lord of the Rings or, or you know, the sled and other, you know, the unnamed sled, um, or like, you know, I think about how objects are used to depict emotions and character state and, and character arcs and place and time and connections to other characters. And so I think that having a game that has all these objects, both the actual physical objects and the kinds of objects that your characters have really, it just does a lot of work in like layering on the emotions and the character connections. And, and there's a whole thing called character arcs where your character actually grows and changes and completes like this arc um, that is very important to them. And so I think that, I think there is this sense of being tactile creates, like deepens all of the things that your character is feeling, which is really sort of, it's, they're like touchstones for, for what's happening at the table. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Like I remember, um, like we had a session recently where um, a, a bunch of players were trying to, you know, get some griffin eggs back from some naughty beasties. And one of my <laughs> players, like one of those little things like, you know, like spike the urgency is like the griffin eggs are starting to crack open. And the first thing they see is what they'll imprint on. And so during the fight, that's what you do. Like, that's what you, like, you really ramp up that anxiety and that, like, you know, let's get something happening here. And one of my players, um, lovely person by the name of Dan, who's just, just lovely. And they were cradling an imaginary egg in their arms. And I was Uh like, I can only give you inspiration once. This sucks. (laughs) I love it. And for that's me, awesome. that's like, that is when, like, the brain has created, like, almost its own sense of what's tactile. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, for if sure. I could find a way of, like, bottling the ability to do that. Yeah. So, like, it's interesting because we just did, um, we did a ritual in our game recently that was, like, a protection ritual. And, like, there's a cloth. There's, a there's a like, a handkerchief that's got all the ritual information on it that you lay out in the table. And we, everyone lit a real candle. And then you drop these tablets into water and they change color. And so there was this whole, like, experience of actually making a ritual. Uh, and then you have to blow the candles out and you have to repeat. Like, each of you repeats something. And so, like, we went around the room and repeated our phrase. And, like, 
I got chills. I mean, it was just the be. most amazing, intense experience. And like, you know, it, I don't know. I, 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 I keep thinking about that experience because it was one of the most interesting and, and really short, right? It didn't take very long. Um, but it, I don't know. It was one of those game experiences that made me so glad to be a gamer because I don't know how you would experience the, those kinds of moments with other people in that sort of intimate connection kind of way it was really really cool it, it sounds very very 10 candlesy oh yeah which is yeah. which is a game i do one day want to play but it's like oh <laughs> you know i got well hey i don't know if I, well i can i can have people in the house again we're, we're lucky in australia we did we, we got yes. very lucky so we're allowed to have yes. people around now um as of the date of this which is the third of june josh because it was your wife's birthday yesterday so you should remember that forever <laughs> Um, Congratulations! Thank you. Way um, ahead of us. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's but but it always struck me as like with D and D, everything we do almost is in here, and the most tactile thing we do is maybe move a token or roll the dice. Um, and I was telling you about um, that other buddy uh, of mine, Devin Chulik, and he actually handed someone a lock and a lockpick at the table, That's and that would fantastic. be an experience. So yeah. For me, like stories of like you know this ritual thing, it does sound like a you've got to have the right group to build to that. Yes, I think. Although I think that like some games like Invisible Sun help you build to that group, right? Mm-hmm. Because you you start out with small tactile things, um, like there's a there's like a you know there are like various ways in which the game kind of prepares you to get to that place. Um, and so it's the, it's kind of built in, which is really nice because you you start out and like if we had done that our first session, it wouldn't have worked, right? Because you've got a kind of I don't know, it's it's a kind of opening that I think happens and a trust and a willingness to like you know like like <laughs> like it was so this moment where you have to have your hands on the cloth and like one of one of the players like started to take their hands off the cloth and i was like don't take your hands off the cloth like i was feeling actually nervous right i was i was worried the ritual wasn't going to work i was in that in my character right and so um so i don't know i think i think it guides you there in a in a really cool way that, that <laughs> yeah i was actually taken, like my heart was palpitating <laughs> that must have taken so much research like i guess into like different like what does this surface feel like? Like, what feelings does this evoke, even just to the basic touch? Yeah, well, it's it is interesting for me because I helped design it. So, mm. like, I like as the designer, like we it was part of the game, and so we I helped design it. Like, but it was like years ago, and so then when Monty brought it out, it was here was this thing that I had helped design a long time ago, and then I got to experience it. And I don't, you know, a lot of people don't get that sort of duality, and it was. I don't know. It was really, really lovely. It was such a, uh, it was a wonderful moment for all of those reasons. That 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 does actually say. I mean, how amazingly. That that says a lot about the design of your game, where it's like I can be taken by surprise by this. Like yeah. I know this is like more than anyone else at this table. I know this is a, you know, a consensual hallucination that we're all right. made believing at the same time. <laughs> right. But gosh darn, I'm in here. It's, yeah, this is a lot about the players too, right? The players are just really willing to go, which is, you know, I think, um, you know, great role players are just so, such wonderful people and willing to be vulnerable. And, you know, that's, I think that that helps create such a fantastic shared experience that, um, I don't know, that's that's definitely one of my favorite parts of gaming is is that. 
can I ask it maybe slightly from the field question? You're, you're saying great role players are this. Would you say that this is a nurture or a nature? Oh. Well, I have a degree in psychology, so I'm supposed to say <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. Um, I think that it, I think it's a lot of everything, right? I think that I, I feel the way about role player role players that I feel about writers, which is that like every writer has some innate talent, and it's different for every writer. Like I'm great at characterization, and I'm sucky at plot. Plot is just forget plot. Plot's the worst. But I have taught myself how to be better at plot, mm. and so I feel like role players are like that. They come to the table with at least one innate sort of skill, one thing they're great at. And maybe it's, you know, maybe it's making everyone laugh or maybe it's making really cool, unique characters, um, or maybe it's being, you know, a supportive group member. And then through time and experience, they get better at all of the things that, you know, maybe they weren't great at, but someone else at the table is really good at. So I, I do think it's a little of both. Um, and it's not, like it's part of it is a skill set, but part of it is a real willingness to like, you know, the word vulnerability keeps coming up. But I think it's a real willingness to be, you know, vulnerable, to be seen, to to be, you know, to sort of you're sort of exposing yourself um, to the possibility of other people, you know, saying bad things or ridiculing you. And so it's like this group trust. And I think that there's just I think that there's a lot of ways that role-playing helps us become better people teaches us empathy you know all mm. of those things that Hopefully. we know that role-playing does right yeah well although um, if you've ever I've... criticized critical role on twitter like oh is it <laughs> <have> empathy. <laughs> oh no <laughs> um yeah that's a whole other thing like people who watch role players versus people who role play right that's a whole interesting side side conversation probably um but I, yeah i do think role players i think they come to the table with some innate ability and that they learn a lot through role play um if they do it for a while it's kind of how i feel but i don't you know i don't really know it's only a guess okay. <laughs> my, my, my degree is in counterterrorism, which is all about group behavior <laughs> so, oh fascinating You're, i'm glad not, you didn't tell me that earlier because i would have totally picked your brain no it isn't it's not it's, interesting it's, it's, well, okay. it would be. it's interesting but it's very boring <laughs> but Anyways. I don't know. <laughs> um, no, I'm going to be about it I, I think the words that we've heard, like, if this was a drinking game and people heard, the, you know, take a drink when you hear empathy or vulnerability, <laughs> you, you'd be sozzled. Yes. With any kind of, like, vulnerability or empathetic situation, part of me feels like conflict is going to happen. Yes. As someone who has done a lot of design work, has a lot of study behind them, and I, I, I do not want to even assume that I would be able to understand even the smallest amount of like the amount of skills and, and, and scope of ability that you have. How do you manage conflict at a table where we've all agreed to be vulnerable, we've all agreed to be open, and a, a, a thing has happened? Right. I think that's, that is such a hard space. Um, I think for, I can only talk for like my own experience, right? I know that there's lots of ways to handle conflict and some of them are fantastic. Um, for me, I, I'm really big on communication. Um, and so I think that like just checking in and being like, you know, okay, I know, you know, just to, to double check my character did this thing and, and, you know, are you okay with that? I know it was, you know, I know they were a jerk or I know whatever. And just kind of checking in, like backing up out of my character for one second to check in 
with the other player or, you know, I think is, is very, very important. Um, and, and, you know, you can have a sort of nonverbal check on that. Like, you know, like you can just look at someone and be like, you know, is this okay? And, and they can give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down and then you can talk about it later. Um, we also, again, talk a lot between sessions. So like we might say, hey, you know, I feel like my characters, like my, I had a character who was kind of taking this really dark turn. She had kind of this experience that changed her. And so I talked to the other players beforehand and I said, hey, I, I sense that my character's direction is going this way. Like, are there any, like, would this bring any, up any issues for you? Is there anything that I should be careful about? Like, and then I kind of checked in with them as she sort of kind of went dark. Um, and so I think just communication and checking in, even after the escalation, like, if things get out of hand, like, the first thing to say is, like, is this a character conflict or is it a player conflict? Right? Are we having are our characters fighting, or are you and I having this interaction that's that's not working for us? Because right, bleed is a thing, and it can be really easy to be like, you're yelling at my character, and now I'm I personally am pissed at you, right? Which is a thing you have to be very careful about. Um, so I think I don't know. I feel like most conflicts can be de-escalated by conversation and time. And so if people are having this conflict and they can't kind of come to a resolution. I think my suggestion would be let's take a break, you know, let's it, let's see how we feel in 10 minutes or a week or whatever the amount of time that we mm. need to kind of come back to ourselves, right? Because like we don't make good choices when we're emotional a lot of times, right? We, we, we say things that we don't mean and we don't actually even know sometimes like why we're mad <laughs> because it's just like raw, right? And your brain is seeing red and your blood pressure's up. And so like if you step away and just think about it, you're like, oh, you know what? Here's why that you know, made me feel bad, or here's why I'm angry about that, or here's what happened that day, and it actually wasn't even about the game at all. And so you can kind of come back and be like, you know what, I was an ass, I'm so sorry, or whatever the, the situation is. Um, so I think conversation and time are my biggest suggestions when it comes to the conflict, and I don't think it falls totally on the GM. I think the players need to take an active role in that as well. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, GM, DM, Weaver, Whichever title you give your, you know, <laughs> adjudicator of that universe's rules. Um, I think there's only so much one human being can do. And, yeah. like, I, I think it's kind of almost like, you know, we, we've managed to, you know, uh, pretend to do a thing in very, very high-stress circumstances for three hours. The fact yes. that... The fact that we don't yell at each other all the time is in some ways true. miraculous. <laughs> true. That is true. Yeah. Like, I, I, I kind of bring this up because, you know, at a table I'm at, one where I get to play, we've been playing through a haunted house, and our dungeon master believes that hitting us with a brick full, uh, sorry, a truck full of bricks is about entry-level combat. And oh, <laughs> we're all good. Like, we all agree to this. <laughs> You know, our dungeon master likes to play on hard, not unfair, just hard. And <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'm going to be stressed. And, and I think it's like for me now, yeah. like reflecting on everything you've said, it's like, I just need to, I guess, go into my sessions now with that kind of level of, okay, here are my expectations on me to be yeah. like this here. So um, thank you that's, tremendously. Yeah, you've, you've helped me. Thank you. I'm glad. <laughs> I I wish I could say that I 
I always had a good solution for conflict because I'm kind of a conflict avoider. And so probably my early years of playing and jamming were not that great because I would just walk away mad or I would let people walk away mad. And so I feel like this is the voice of experience and not always good experiences. <laughs> well, I mean... We grow. Thankfully, we grow. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I I think it's, it's it's a pretty valid thing. Like every every group has also got its like I guess intergroup dynamics and and relationships, mm-hmm. and those are always going to be expressed in very interesting ways. I, I I suspect. Yeah, that's one of the great things about long term groups too. Is you can you can know who in your party is the person who's always worried that they've offended you and will always send a message after and say, "Hey, I'm sorry. Was did I do? Like, is everything okay?" And like you can sort of realize that that's who they are. Yeah, that's <laughs> great though, right? They're good communicators, and so you can you can kind of sort of I think like once you know someone that well, you can you can stop them from worrying the whole drive home and say, "Hey, like this tonight was great. Like I thought." you know, we had a great time. And so like, you can say it before they even leave the game because you know that that's a thing they carry with them. Right. And so like, if you, if you know your players and, or your GM even like, cause you know, GMing is hard too. And they like, they walk away from the table sometimes and they're like, Oh, that was a bad game or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can, you can help them feel better by just um, alleviating what you know is an untrue concern of theirs. Right. And it doesn't take that much effort to just make other people's lives a little bit better. Like, I hate the thought of someone driving all the way home thinking, oh, I wonder if Sean is mad at me because I said this, right? And, you know, the truth is, like, I'm never mad. And if I am, I would say it before they left, right? I would say, okay, can we talk for five minutes? Um, But, you know, if I can just offset that, why not? Why not do that? Make it better. No, that's good. And I think... I, I'm very much latching on to what you've said as far as like, you know, role players having to have empathy. Like mm-hmm. it, you're specifically putting yourself in someone else's, you know, shoes, boots, or, you know, barefoot <laughs> if you, you know, play halfling with a certain author's <laughs> canon. Um, as far as like getting into a character, what one thing that works for me and everyone I play with is going to look at me like I'm, like, yeah, we noticed, Josh. <laughs> All of my characters have a different voice. Oh, fun. They have to. Like, that is how I make a character work for me. Like, my tabaxi assassin is my terrible impersonation of, Ender- of Antonio Banderas Puss in Boots. Because that's what I was watching when I came up with the, with, with the character idea. Nice. You know, my, my lady wizard is, is an angry Russian, you know, essentially revolutionist, you know. Because I wanted to play her in a different way. But for me, like, they have to have that voice. And then my brain starts to put together here is how they work. Cool. What are your ways of doing this? You know, I'm so, I'm so jealous of your way because I want to be the kind of person who has great voices at the table, but the shy plus whatever is. <laughs> okay, I want to be a person who has voices me, at the table. Bad. Someday, someday I will achieve that goal. Um, you know, for me, it's often about... Uh, let's see, I, I think it's about language um, and it's about like objects and dress. Like I need to be able to, like I often dress, uh, like the my, my character currently has um, a thing for like birds. And so I have like a bird necklace that I wear and a bird ring. Um, and so I often dress e- even at the table in some uh, some element of the character's dress because that helps me kind of like really solidify 
Um, and, and then I think like having, having like this, um, internal, sorry, this is a good question. And I don't know that I thought about it that much, but having like this internal goal that my character has, like this thing that they are striving toward is also really important. So like this, you know, what is the thing that they really, really want that they have, they would have a hard time telling someone about, right? Like, cause we all have this inner, we all these inner desires that we think we can't say out loud. And so like, if I can find that for a character, um, I find, I feel like, you know, I've kind of found their heart, and, and I can go forward from there. I, I was going to say like, I, I've never really thought about like my characters that way. Like, okay. Maybe in one case, you know, we, we were playing lasers and feelings and the character I came up with was a character called Kwanga, who was like a, a quokka. Like a, a quokka is like a small kangaroo rat thing. Oh, yes. They smile. Course. Oh, yes. that's fantastic. Like, and <laughs> that's awesome. he, of course, wears a cowboy hat because that I, oh. of course, have one. Well, several. Um, <laughs> two. Um, but it was really the first kind of one where I'd were like, okay, he has to have a hat. Like, this whole cowboy thing is a very important part of his aesthetic. And it did become, like, several very silly, 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 silly sillinesses happened because of that. I love that. Yeah, yeah. and then someday he's going to lose that hat. He and did. It's, right. Oh, heartbreak, right? He, so he much left heartbreak. that hat or, behind for his friend when he went and sacrificed oh, himself. Oh, those are the best moments. Oh, my gosh. My heart. I love it. Thank you. It was, it I was, I, I did, we were playing a one shot and I deliberately killed my character in the, like the last episode because, you know, hey, you got to have. Also, kind of have those big moments. Yeah. And I was going to Dungeon Master next week, so I thought, well, this is kind of how I go from being a player back to a Dungeon Master. <laughs> burn burn the, 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 the land behind me as I go. Um, now, now Shana, I do have one final question. It's, it's a question that I ask everyone. Um, okay. Don't worry, this one doesn't have a pun. You're safe. <laughs> um, as far as self-care goes... How do you make sure that you are okay? Whoa, that's a giant question. Um, I'm very sorry. <laughs> I, no, no, that's good. It's a good question. It's a good question. Do you uh, is there a speci- do you mean specifically like during a game or just as a gamer or I feel like there's so many ways that question could go. Yeah, I, I would say generally speaking, <laughs> like life in general. Uh, like, general. you know, I, I try and exercise when I can and, you know, I, I know when I've played a game, like video games too long, it's like, okay, you need to get out of the room now, Joshua. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I've been there. Um, oh, okay. So, uh, I meditate. Um, I like to, I like to listen to Russell Brand's meditation of all people, <laughs> which is, sounds bizarre because he's this, such a harsh comedian, but his meditation is really... Uh, kind of a little bit, um, a little bit of reverence, and I, I'm a fan of irreverence, so I like that. So I, I meditate in the mornings. Um, I also exercise; that's important to me. Um, the gym is closed currently, and that's been a real tough transition for me to find a way to exercise that I am finding gives me the same kind of mental space. Uh, I journal a lot. I think journaling is a fantastic way to scream out everything that is bothering you and put it somewhere and 
uh, be able to take sort of a back, sort of be able to step back and look at it. Um, and then, you know, writing, of course, helps me. It is sort of my core being. And so I guess truly all of these self-help things are the things that allow me to write because if I can't write, I'm in a really bad shape. Um, and I also, I, I have a dog who is a joy and spending time with a dog is a big, um, you know, they just, they just have no, correct. Yeah. Yeah. And she, um, she, you know, she's just got no worries and I love, and you know, she, it's not like she hides anything. She's like, please pet me, please feed me. I love you. Right. And she's just like, ah, yay. Um, and then also, (laughs) I also, um, I tried to do a lot of thought work, which is just sort of like, you know, what do I really need? How am I really feeling? How can I make this conversation or this relationship with someone that I care about better? Um, you know, what have I done this week that that felt shitty and how do I make that better? And thought work is hard. Um, it doesn't feel like self-care when you're doing it, uh, but after you do it, I think I feel a lot better just sort of figuring out you know sort of figuring out who I am and and who I want to be and why I do the things I do and that really helps a lot um I hate it it, I really it, it hate kind it, of sounds like push-ups because you know push-ups are horrible <laughs> but you know that's how you for get that da- that's that's how I get that dad what I'm aiming for <laughs> right right I do think a lot of self-care is is work Right, we sort of self- talk about self care sometimes, like it's all relaxation, and I don't think that it, it, it not, at least not for me, it is not like exercise and doing mm. doing the mental work. That's work, but it's self care because I feel better after, and it centers me. And uh, it took me a long time to learn that. Yeah. I think I was listening to um an episode of <clears throat> sorry, um, t- tabletop babble, and um, he was talking mm. to um Scraticus, who pointed out there's like three different kind of stress levels there's like hyper stress which is like you're overstressed like you've got way too much going on and it's going to kill you but you've also got hype o stress which is like i don't have enough going on i feel pointless oh. and valueless oh, yeah and achieving nothing and then there's that like beautiful sweet spot where you're like <laughs> you, you're getting enough done yeah. you're doing enough stuff but you're kind of like, when you need to, Yeah, that wow, that is a really good way to look at stress. That Yeah, I certainly have experienced all of those levels. That is, that is yeah, and aiming for that middle ground is, whew, that is a hard thing to hit, I think. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, so that, 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 like when I heard him say that, I'm like, oh, this is, if I hear nothing else in this interview... I've got the good bit now. <laughs> I love those gems. You're just like, okay, I have to write this down and then think about it for a really long time because it has the power to change my life if I can just act upon it, which is lovely. Exactly. Now, um, Shanna, if, if, if people want to look you up on Twitter and if people want to buy things of yours, how and where can they do this? <laughs> I am everywhere. No, uh, so they can find me under Shauna Germain on Twitter and uh, my website is shaunagermain.com. And then in addition, uh, I am co-owner of Monty Cook Games, uh, which we have our store at montycookgames.com and are also on the on Twitter under that name. So pretty easy. Excellent. Um, and I've only just like had the mental click that I've been calling you Shanna because I'm an Australian rather than Shauna. 
And I apologize all my time. You know, it sounds better coming from you than... <laughs> I think it totally works. <laughs> I actually can't tell... I can't quite tell the difference until you just said it both ways. So it totally sounded like you were doing it perfectly to me. It's an Australian It has accent, a W. It, like, it sounds like it has a W in it, so it's it's perfect. Yeah. In, in Australia, you'd fit in, but you'd probably get called Shazza a lot. Just Oh, really? Yeah. Shazza sounds like a superhero name. I'm in for that. Is it not? No, I wouldn't say it's not. <laughs> it's like anyone who's called like Sharon or Charlotte or anything like that, you're going to get called Shazza or Shazza ah, or something. Because we are uncivilized people. Um, <laughs> I, I do want to say thank you again to, to Shana. Um, <clears throat> sorry, uh, I, of course, can be found at Nerdy People D and D. Um, please check out the two um, actual plays that we have because we've got some really really cool funny interesting stuff and all of the everything all, all the interviews here because my gosh there's a lot of really cool people out there um shauna thank you very much again for your time <laughs> thank you for having me this was super fun you asked great questions oh. so i i really appreciate that thank you